Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to this week's Countryside Podcast on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermud and Simon Clark. And lambing, it's that time of year, but you had a chat with Hilary Fletcher from Belig up the north and things in the general in the Isle of Man might have taken a bit of a turn for change. Really. That's right, the winters have been considerably wetter recently and a lot more farmers have drifted out to more April lambing. So I went along to see Hillary to see why they still do the January and February early lambing. Yeah, isn't it easier now with quads and things or I suppose the sheep get used to it when they first heard them roaring around compared to the sheep <laughs> dog, you know. Yeah. yeah, but they've got purpose-built buildings now for sheep to be housed through the winters and, and for lambing because, uh, you know, every life is, is important and, um, yeah, it's a lot more handier for the farmer, isn't it, to have them indoors, it's a bit easier. Yes, it is, and keep an eye on them and the comfort, uh, well, a bit of straw to sit down this while is you're it. there, isn't it? And I caught up with Dr Andrew Foxen, who runs the Go Man Adventures. Uh, he runs some guided walks and tours and adventures around the Isle of Man and also does some hill skills courses as well where, you know, you can learn you can learn a bit of map reading or orienteering, as some mm. call it, and, and some basic skills about planning walks and uh, you know if, if anything goes wrong just having that sort of backup in your mind uh, before you go instead of panicking when you're out there so great things because yeah, things can happen can't they and oh, you've got to be it. on the safe side of things and uh, there's plenty of great walks on the Isle of Man and I suppose finding some new ones uh, that you've got the consent of the landowners which is so important these days oh, yes, is a yeah. big thing isn't it? Well that's it, there's so many beautiful walks and so many that we can't get on and to have a, a guided tour like this you know, you get to all those hidden places that are extra beautiful maybe Yeah, there we go, so that's all in Countryside you can sit back and enjoy it now Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual <laughs> Well, firstly, we're going to be talking about lambing, Kiri, aren't we? And it's one of them things that this cold time of year, uh, January and February, was was really a biggish time for um, sheep farmers on the Isle of Man, wasn't it, with the lambing? But it's all changed. You're well into that side of things. Has it changed slightly over recent times? Yeah, I think it certainly has. Um, the winters aren't as crisp and as cold as they used to be, um, and lambs will and can survive quite happily and be born in that kind of weather. But now with it being wet, they, they really do struggle to be born. They can't get on their feet outside. It's very muddy, and, um, yeah, it's been a bit of a change. And also it's quite market-driven. Early lambs were for the Easter trade, and with Easter moving about and um, these winters affecting it, farmers have drifted away from it and more spring lambing in the April time now when the weather is a little bit nicer. Yeah, but of course, I suppose it's varies from year to year, which the north or the south of the Isle of Man is different, but uh, you were up north at uh, Belig Farm. That's right, I went along to see Hilary Fletcher to see why they still do early lambing. I think quite a few people in the north do. The reason being, well, our particular reason is if the weather's bad, it can be bad any time of the year. So when you've got limited shed space bringing them in, it's easier to have a small group coming in at different times. And I suppose it is a lot more sandier on the north, so they, they can lamb outside easily enough and then just come in in the evening times. Yeah, I mean, we just bring them in at night mainly, unless it's a really wet day. And the reason for that is we have a problem with ravens. Never. Yeah. And the ravens, we quite often will lose a lamb or whatever with ravens. 
and the, <laughs> and their worst first thing in the morning and at dusk. So it's better off they're safe in indoors. Then. But is it a lot more labour intensive with having them in? I suppose it is, but there's pros and cons. If you have them out, you go have to go out and look in the dark, find something. That's just as bad as having them in the shed and putting the bed and down. And I suppose you, you're causing more havoc than it's worth by frightening them out of the shelter and such like in, in the night time, I suppose. Yeah, that's it. I mean, if, you, if they're in the shed and they're warm and cosy and they tend to land around high tide or low tide. And how do you manage in the shed when, say, two or three of them do lamb and they, and they have pears? I'm sure it must be like a jumble sale. Well, it probably is. It's look at the draw. <laughs> Who's lambed? How many lambs are there? Who wants which? <laughs> well, you have you know, the, the breeds that actually suit this kind of lamb and though. Yeah, the Dorsets, they're good. Dorset crosses. They'll mother and they've got good milk. And they'll uh, mother anybody's lambs though. Yeah, I suppose they will, <laughs> but you've, you tend to work out who's is who. If they've got, sometimes you might put an extra one with, with one that's got more milk. Will you scan the sheep each year? We don't bother. We don't see any point in scanning unless you can manage to split them into groups. We haven't got the shed space or the field space to split yeah. them into groups, so it's not really worth it. And we have to feed the, the sheep special rations on the run-up to the lambing time. It was a, I know you had the award-winning haylage this year. Will these girls get some of that? Yeah, some of them get a haylage. And we feed them peas and oats and a bit of protein and minerals. Oh, well, it certainly helps keep the milk right. And I suppose this year we, we've benefited from a, a really mild winter. Oh, yeah. I mean can be miserable any time, can't it? But we've been lucky this year. So good. Obviously, there's a, there must be a drive for the early lambs. Well, you always hope you're going to get some. Early in the season, I suppose there's a bit of a lull, isn't there? Yeah. It's sort of the supply's a bit lower. You hopefully get a bit reasonable price. And has the price been fairly good the last few years? It's not too bad, I suppose. At the end of the day, the price is the price. And obviously, with you guys being first-generation farmers, you do what suits you. So all of these ideas at, at the farm, with the diversification into the, the chasers course as well, you know, it's, it's all been a massive learning curve. Yeah. I mean, we have no preconceived ideas. I like to go away around, listen to what other people do, yeah. see what other people do, and then see how could that work for us? Or how could it not work for us, you know? Pick and choose. Will you finish all the lambs off grass or will you use creep? Or The early lambs get a bit of creep and they're on, mother's on fodder beet for a bit of extra milk and they've got stubble turnips. And how will they manage, well, it's quite soily the fields I suppose where you're growing the, the turnips, will the lambs manage okay? Yeah, fine. As long as they've got a nice run back onto a grassy field it's fine. Yeah. And with it nice and dry at the moment. <laughs> And we always have the, the dreaded case of, of the Meg lambs. How, how did you have many of them or is it just something you foster on some of these Dorset ewes? Always try to foster something. And if you end up with the odd one or two or whatever, <laughs> they go on a bucket. Drives you demented. I like them to go on a bucket. They, then they don't get too socialised because they become a nuisance if they're too socialised. Yeah, and then once they're weaned, they'll go out into the field with the rest of the lambs yeah. as normal. Yeah, that's it. They go out with the rest weaned out in the field. So you've got a busy few months ahead of you, Hilary, with the next bunch coming only next week. But uh, when will you finish eventually? The last group are due to May time. Hopefully get lambs through most of the season. Well, these sheep in May, will they lamb outside? We, hopefully the weather will be nicer by then. Yeah. Basically, you have the shed available, so if you have a poor day or you can bring something in. But they'll be predominantly outside. You'll finish lambs all year round then, generally. And this before for the Isle of Man fat stock. Yeah, they all go to the fat stock. Except, obviously, a few kept for breeding, but mainly everything goes to the fat stock. So you wouldn't stray far away from the Dorsets then, really? Dorsets are good. Yeah. They're nice. They're good mothers. They're nice sheep. And they're, 
they're always friendly. Dorsets and dorset horns. Well, it's a family business here. Your, your daughter Claire, she's she's very keen with the sheep as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Quite a few of the dorsets actually are her sheep. So. So she's a part-time farmer. She obviously works very hard at uh, JDW in the daytime and and lambing at nighttime, maybe. Yeah, when she comes up and she helps out. That was Hilary Fletcher from Belig Farm talking about her early lambing. Well, I'm gonna stick with what they know, I suppose, and yeah, I suppose there's a little bit of shelter at Belig where they are, isn't it, from from the nasty winds anyway. That's right, and they've got a good shed there as well, so they, they can come in at night time away from it all, and, and they're born indoors and, and sent out in the daytime, so they're, they're well set up for it. Yeah, maybe the farmers are getting softer, not wanting to go out <laughs> in the cold. Well, this is it. It is a horrible, <laughs> a horrible job when you're having to fight against the elements, but uh, when you're organised, it's not so bad. But it's such a rewarding job, isn't it, seeing the 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 lambs born and coming out and especially if you've just had to just help them that little bit isn't it that's right it's it's still exciting year on year and and it's nice for the public to see them being born and out in the fields as well and uh, it's nothing nicer than new life we've had that with calves and the the new breeds of cattle the the british blues as they call them now which are very very unlikely to carve on their own aren't they um but i mean are things changing like that in the sheep breeds i mean are they getting trickier to lamb some of the breeds yeah the, the native sheep they they all get on with it themselves they're very hardy and natural and we here on the isle of man have many of them so they're very little need need very little assistance um but some of the pedigree breeds they're a little bit more tricky and a lot more attention's paid to them and, and they're kept indoors as well now so you, you don't miss or have any struggle in births okay <laughs> Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. With spring lambing only around the corner, DEFA and the National Farmers Union have joined forces to raise awareness of livestock worrying. I spoke to the new secretary, Andrew Cooper, to give me a rundown on the recent launch. Yeah, we've joined forces with the Isle of Man Constabulary, uh, Mr Cretney from DEFA with the government and the other agencies from local media to raise awareness of the, the ongoing continued attacks from dogs, not necessarily by irresponsible dog owners, but dogs have escaped a lead or were not on a lead in the first place. But people don't think that their pet could ever cause any damage or even capable of causing any any such loss to to the sheep or, or livestock. The dog is just playing sometimes. To the owner it may look like it's out there having fun, running around in a field, but that running around in a field full of pregnant users is terrorising those animals. They don't understand what a dog is. The dog thinks it's great fun to chase a ewe, and a running ewe, just like a pregnant lady, it can cause abortion, it can cause miscarriages, and ultimately cause death. But this is a substantial loss to the, to the farmers as well, but it's also an emotional impact you know, on, on both the farmer, the animal, and the dog owner. Oh yeah, these guys have put over two, three years service into rearing these ewes into fully grown sheep which will then go on to have lambs. It, it doesn't happen overnight, it's a long drawn out process and to see that brought down by one irresponsible owner with one dog which it's not out there to kill but that's what it does. But the sad thing is that um, when a dog is found seriously attacking sheep or, or livestock you know there is a law that these animals can be destroyed in the extreme circumstances if a farmer were to be in a field and they did happen to have a gun with them and there was a dog attacking or seriously worrying livestock then yes they could shoot the animal however it's very rare circumstances and farmers are very reluctant to do it as it can lead to prosecutions for criminal damage as has happened in the past but you've also brought on board uh, the constabulary here that they are very keen to make awareness as well and support the NFU. 
Oh yes, they've been fantastic, great support from them. Um, they're available for consultation should anyone have lost a dog or have concerns over dogs missing in the countryside. They've done a lot recently looking for dogs which have gone missing, very actively out there searching and just trying to, to stop it becoming an issue. Yeah, There's also the launch of new signage as well that will obviously make more awareness as well, generally. Yes, we've got three clear messages we want to get out to the general public. Um, the first one is very much a generic message. Your dog can scare or harm farm animals. Stay safe, use a lead around livestock. But if you are walking through a field of cattle and they do come over inquisitive and perhaps look like they're maybe chasing you, then let your dog go. Yeah, yeah. The second message is one option costs a few pounds. The other may cost you a lot of money and your dog being destroyed. Always use a lead around livestock. And the one which is a bit more hard-hitting, and you may almost say a little bit more risque, at what point does the penny drop? Is it when the shotgun goes off, or when the vet has a court order to euthanise your dog? Always use a lead around livestock. They're very, very strong messages, Andrew. You know, these people just, you know, can end up in serious trouble, and it, and it should be adhered by. Oh, yes, it's, it's a common sense approach. If you keep your dog on a lead next to a busy road that's being a responsible dog owner and looking out for the dog so keep your dog on a lead when you're you're surrounded by livestock as the consequences could be equally as devastating there's no clear winner the livestock loses out the farmer loses out the dog loses out and the dog owner loses out but a lot of the farmers are approachable you know if something happens and you know it's completely out of your control you can approach the farmer and talk to them you know the they want to make public awareness and be a joined-up community. I'm yet to meet a farmer who doesn't want that approach. If you lose a dog on our near farmland, they say, go, knock on the door. They will come out, they will get the quad out, they will help you find that animal. They want you reunited with a dog and their livestock safe. They don't want livestock injuries, they don't want livestock worrying. They just want a quiet farming life. David Cretney, you're here today with a joined-up approach from all areas to make livestock worrying a point. Yes, indeed. Well, not only I'm here on behalf of DEFA, but I'm also uh, a dog owner. Uh, I walk in the countryside lots and lots. I think the Isle of Man's a wonderful place to do that. But what we're saying today is that uh, everybody who's got dogs needs to be much more responsible at this particular time of year in spring with all the lambing going on and one thing and another. What can they do to you know, make it easier for them to go and enjoy the countryside? Well, well there's so many places you can go. They, actually, the best thing to do when lambing is going on is to try and keep away from such areas. If you do go past inadvertently and you realise that there are uh, sheep or lambs in a field and just make sure the dog's on the lead. It's so simple, it's so basic and you know it avoids any potential grief not only for the farmer and his stock. You know the, the farmers are in there to, as a business but ultimately they're humans as well and it's very upsetting for them I know when they see what can happen to their livestock. And, and the police constabulary here today and the NFU have launched these wonderful signs to put around the place. People don't go out of their way to, to cause trouble or, or such like but it's making awareness. Yes it is yes I mean we've seen vivid images in the past of what can happen and that they're really very disturbing um, and so just imagine what it's like for a farmer who's you know all year round they work all sorts of hours and they're, they're doing their best in terms of the, the stock for a silly moment from a person with a dog letting it go or not having it on the lead it just destroys all the work that's gone on and also is very very upsetting so just 
don't do it. It's really simple, straightforward. Keep your dog on the lead. But farms are approachable, and, and the, you know, this is the. It's not them and us. It's a joined-up community. Uh, absolutely. Well, this is the Isle of Man. You know, um, where you know one of the principal reasons that people come to for holidays on the Isle of Man, for example, is because of the countryside and how nice it is. But also, David, our dogs are quite unpredictable. We think we know them 110%, but at the end of the day, they are a wild animal. Well, they are. They're derived from wild animals anyway. I mean, I was down south the other day, down Scarlet, and, and we, we went along a footpath with the two dogs. Public footpaths, we were entitled to be there, but there were sheep in the field, and we, we kept the dogs, obviously, on leads. But two dogs, I've got a Jack Russell Terrier, who's my daughter's, and there's a poodle who's ours. Now, the poodle, who's the least offensive dog you could ever expect, he was wanting to go and chase them like. He was was up for it like. So any dog can be taken by the moment, if you like, and, and, and want to chase after them and cause damage. So you've just got to be sensible. That was David Cretney, MLC, member of DEFA, and NFU secretary Andrew Cooper. But talking about hills and adventures and walking, uh, I went along to speak to Dr Andrew Foxen, who runs the Goldman Adventures, which have guided walks and tours and adventures around the Isle of Man, including some training and courses on hill walking skills and of course which includes map reading and things like that and little bits of survival to help you get through uh, if you get lost anywhere it was a very interesting chat and i spoke to him but firstly i asked him how he got into the adventure side of the walking well goman adventures is something that i set up four years ago and the aim of it is to provide guided walks in various parts of the island and also to provide hill skills, help people develop their own hill walking and their own uh, their own skills in doing those sorts of things for themselves. And uh, what I try to do is offer uh, walks right over the island. Um, some might be a half-day walk, so a morning or an afternoon or an evening. And then I do some short-day walks, so say starting about 10 o'clock, finishing about 3 and then I'll do some full day hikes, which are, are for the more ambitious, uh, which will maybe start about half past nine and then finish about five or six. And it's really going from Jerby, Andreas, down to Castletown, uh, Port Erin, round the Sound. Not walking those sorts of distances in a day. Not from Jerby to Castletown. Not from <laughs> Jerby to Castletown, no, but um, different parts of the island. And at the moment I've got about 16, 17 different routes that I'm following. And what we do is we we just explore where we are, have a look at usually their archaeological features or historical features. Uh, There'll be a bit of geology, the wildlife that we see on the day. And it's really very much about uh, exploring a piece of the countryside in depth. You mentioned geology there. I think that was one of your remits before you took on this role. Big interest in it. Is that what got you into the walking as well? My own background's archaeology, mm. but what the type of archaeology I learned is what, what we call landscape archaeology. So it's looking at the layers that are out there. Why, why does a particular piece of landscape look like it does now? And some of that has to do with the underlying geology, which will be different around Castletown or Peel or you know, Jerby. And then it's about the, the relationship between people and that piece of land for over 10,000 years, effectively, oh. in types of farming or, or land management and so on. And then it comes down to the wildlife as well. So I, I've, although my own background is, is quite specific, 
the way I was taught and the way my interests have developed have been to go wider and wider and wider. And what interests me and what I find interests people as well are just looking at things and trying to work out why are they like this and why is it different here from over there. Yeah, and that's what makes, I suppose, the Isle of Man so interesting. It's got lots of nooks and hollows and hills, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. I, I've lived here now for 20 years and still there are places where I go, oh, I must, must spend a bit more time there, must follow that track. And I see a footpath every footpath sign every so often I think do you know I've not I've not actually been been up there and it's it's different it's so so different in terms of its landscape whether you know in the southeast or down around the sound or uh, up in the northern plain as well you striving always to, to find new walks as well because I suppose some paths are, are well walked and a lot of them I suppose some of the good walks you, you'd have to get permission from the owners and things like that is that the case yeah. most of the routes that I follow are entirely on public rights of way so that there's a, a in a sense a right of access and a lot of the hill land and uh, some of the Manx National Heritage land has the right of public ramblage so there's no permission needed there but some of the places I go to are on private land so I've, I've spent time with the landowners particularly with some of the archaeological sites which are protected but they're privately owned and they, they don't have an automatic um, right of access. So the, the programme that I've got for this coming year is is based on ones that I've been doing for um, last year and a little bit the year before. And I'm spending part of this year planning additional routes. There are some, in a sense, that are real favourites on the Isle of Man. A lot of people, if they only have one walk to do, or if they're visiting the island, if they, they only have time for one, then uh, I'll suggest we, we start in Port St Mary and walk around to the Sound and then back to Port Erin and round. And that's like a lot of the island. That's that's a, Every corner you turn, it's different. It's really, really exciting. What about local interest compared to people from off island what i'm pleased is that uh says about half of my half of my people who've come on walks with me are local right. and about half come from across and you often find that folk who live on the island they they can find a morning free or an afternoon free and during the summer i do evening walks or sunset walks sunset hoping that we'll see the sunset and often folk are able to find that amount of time. And so those are those are often more popular with local audiences. But the longer walks, I think what sometimes happens is people who are visiting the island say, let's find something to do for the day. And so uh, I often find that the longer walks are, are more popular with folk visiting. I suppose you've got a few hills that get covered in mist and things like that. And you do courses on how to look after yourself because it's... I know myself walking down Seyfel in the dark and in the mist one night, it didn't quite come out where I intended to. Ah, that's often the way, yes. I didn't have a compass. <laughs> <laughs> yes, find, finding your way to the top of a hill is easy because you just keep going. It's when you then try to find your right way down, it can be, can be a bit of a problem with, with compass and map. Yes, so that there's a course that uh, Mountain Training, who provide the, the training standards for hills and hill, hill walking, hill skills, mountaineering as well have developed and I'm the Isle of Man provider for that so it's a, it's a hill skills course I really targeted at people who are just beginning to get out to do their own hill walking and it covers bits of navigation and map reading but it's not just simply a navigation course it has a look at um, how to prepare yourself the kind of clothing footwear to consider how to plan a walk how to identify the type of walking you want to do and what, what gives you pleasure out of walking and then to work 
work to develop your own walk so that they're about the right distance for your capabilities or to stretch yourself a wee bit. And then also what to do, what to do in an emergency, issues to do with first aid and, and so on. Yeah, I suppose one of the things I've done before, I've walked from Agnish up to where the veranda is and stuff like yeah. that one day because the, the girlfriend at the time said, yeah, let's do that one. Whew. Was it a long way? And I suppose that's one of the things you don't realise the distances. Is that one of the things you can plan roughly to what distance you can walk? That's right. Mm-hmm. You, you That helps you have a look at the distance that you'd go to take into account the steepness and the type of ground that, that you've got. And it also helps you work out the kind of pace that's appropriate for you, whether you're super fit or not super fit. It's about judging a walk that's achievable, maybe pushes yourself a wee bit, but isn't going to leave you absolutely flummoxed at the, at the end of it and in serious difficulty. Those courses, are, as I say, they're, they're really targeted at people who have done a little bit of walking but want to start doing a little bit more and, and want some confidence that they've got the skills to develop. Mm. And one thing also I was looking on your website there and that's lovely managed actually because it's got the calendar it's one of the first things you see on it where you can sort of click on an event that's on and and you can get the details and it shows availability as well. I'm pleased it looks that way. What I try to do is offer a series of events, as I would call them, walks and courses where uh, they're they're up on the calendar. People can have a search um, on the, the, the type of thing that they're after, click on it and they get the full details and the contact details and, and, and um, how to how to book them. But also there's more general information about the particular routes that we're going to go and what the Hill Skills course is. And there are some days that I flag up on that diary that uh, that say it's it's a free for private booking. So if somebody wanted, had a specific day or a specific thing they wanted to do, they can get in touch with me on one of those days and say, that's the day for me. And some of the, the business comes through from groups visiting the island or people on the island um, saying we we want a day out as a business or a, as a, a WI or, or, or whatever. We'd like to explore a bit of the island with you and uh, quite happy to do that. Andrew Foxen there from GoMan Adventures telling me about the guided walks and the, the courses that you can book on uh, for the Hill Skills courses and that one, as he said, on the 4th and 5th of March, the next ones. But you can go to his website, which is www.go hyphen manadventures.com or you can phone them on 480129 you go to that website and you get a fabulous calendar of events that you can pick and choose and book on there as well you can get leaflets as well from the welcome center and he's also on facebook so it's great that um there's, there's things like that to encourage people to get out in the country because there's some great walks and as he said he's found some nice different ones that are so slightly off the norm. Well that's right and also a little bit of information about these walks and a bit of history and and like you say navigation and survival skills they're always important but uh, lots of people are getting outside now and enjoying it and this is a perfect chance to do just that again. Yeah but mostly people have got uh, hiking boots and things now you know like the farmers doing 20 miles with a pair, <laughs> pair of wellies with a bit of straw in them in the olden days wouldn't it? This is very true. Yeah but, but there is so much though I, I as he put it there, he tried to sort of mentor it like the old coach drivers, you know, where they're walking somewhere, and he'll say, oh, yeah, if you look over to the right there, you'll see such and such a place, and 
that was farmed by such and such, or it used to be an airport, things like that. It was very, very interesting, them sort of things. And it's nice that somebody's enthusiastic because, um, yeah. you know, if you're going through a fairly long stretch, I'd imagine, you know, you'd, you'd want something to talk about. Well, that's Get the it. flask out with a cuppa. Oh, why mm. not? But uh, we'll leave it there for this week's Countryside. We'll be back next week with more. So until then, from me, Simon Clark. And me, Kerry Kermode. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Tra. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. There we are, walking and lambing, all wrapped up nicely in Countryside this week. You've done your fair share of rapping, I bet you. Oh, certainly have, Give yeah. us a song now. <laughs> oh, no, the sheep The, <laughs> the sheep, sheep rapping. Yeah, the sheep fleece rapping. <laughs> But it was a tricky enough job, was that as well? It was a yeah. shearing. Shearing, a sheep, sheep farming generally is quite intensive, really. Um, a lot of... Um, a lot of things she- to do, isn't it? Shearing, dipping, clipping. Lambing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are quite intensive for the return you get, but uh, they're, a, they're a great animal to have on the farm. They go. They work hand in hand with the cattle, so it's uh, it's nice to see. And they're good to tell the weather by them too. Certainly, they'll tell which way the wind is blowing. <laughs> and of course, Andrew Fox and they're talking about his uh, walks and guides around the island. And don't forget them courses available. You just go to his Facebook page, or you can pick up a leaflet for Go Man Adventures at the uh, Welcome Centre in Douglas. But we'll leave it there for this week's Countryside. We'll be back next week. So from me, Simon Clark, and me, Kerry Kermode. Bye bye. Bye bye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Super Fast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.